So it's true, I'm, I'm, I'm not Meg. Um, as Barry said, she is sad not to be with us. Um, she has COVID. And um, as soon as she tested positive early Friday morning, morning, she pointed a finger at me and said, you need to get out of here. Run while you still can. <laughs> well, it worked. I stand before you COVID negative, and yet taking all the precautions, masking, keeping a little distance, except when preaching. Um, all to say, I appreciate your forbearance with the changes in the bulletin. I would like to point out, however, that when Meg titled her sermon, What If Christmas Doesn't Depend on Us? Man, was she tempting fate. Whew. It is 100% true, of course. We don't make Christmas happen. This is a story of a gift given. It is God who makes Christmas happen with us and sometimes in spite of us. Now, the Gospel of Luke tells the story like this, but I'll invite us to bow our heads for a word of prayer first. God, we are here. We have presented ourselves before you once more in this time of short light and long night. Speak to us here and now, we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David called Bethlehem, because he was descended from the house and the family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged and who was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for her to deliver her child, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In that region, there were shepherds living in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a child wrapped in bands of cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go now to Bethlehem and see this thing that has taken place, which the Lord has made known to us. So they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the child lying in the manger. And when they saw this, they made known what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds told them. But Mary 
Mary treasured all these words and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, some Christmas gifts really go the distance. Do you find that to be true? In our closet, there's this puffy, Kelly green, down-filled vest, and it is coming up on 20 years old. I wear it a lot in the winter, sometimes just to take a walk, but other times for cold weather yard work, raking leaves, whatever, so it's appropriately worn and discolored. It's also not as puffy as it used to be. Those little feathers have a way of just coming right out, don't they? But it still does the trick. It keeps me warm on a cold winter day. Still getting used all these years later, I think it is safe to say that was a great, great Christmas present. Except for one tiny little insignificant detail. I gave that vest to Meg for Christmas. (laughs) It's her vest. I've just been borrowing it for two decades. In my defense, I would like to say that this is an isolated incident. When I give Meg a gift, it usually remains in her possession. That's not really true at all. There are at least two Carolina sweatshirts that have migrated from her drawer to my drawer. And sometimes I might even use her nice smelling soap, you know, like, but only when the Lever 2000 bar runs out and I forget to replace it. But let me say it again, I'm only borrowing these things, right? So other than those one, two, three, four incidents, uh, a gift given remains with the recipient Borrowing somebody's gift is not how it works, not in my book. Friends, we should be lucky that the Bible is not my book because borrowing is all over this story. Luke tells us that Mary and Joseph laid baby Jesus in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there are a thousand different books, paintings, creches, and nativity scenes that will suggest to you that the Holy Family spent the night in a cold, drafty barn with sheep and cows keeping reverent watch, all because there was no place for them in the local Motel 6. But because it's Christmas, and at Christmas we tell the truth, I think we can see this story with different eyes. There's a word in the Greek text that needs a little unwrapping for us this evening. That word is kataluma. Mary and Joseph laid the baby in the manger because there was no room for them in the kataluma. Now the Bible, under your, the seat in front of you, will uh, translate that word as in. But the fact of the matter is that a small town like Bethlehem would not have a commercial inn in the way we think about it. No Marriott's, no Best Westerns, no... Holiday Inns, but um, Cataluma is not a hotel. There's another Greek word for that kind of inn, and Luke himself will use that later in the gospel, so a Cataluma is something different altogether. Your basic first century house in this part of the world had two rooms, 
the main living space for the family, including space for cooking and for sleeping. And then the second room was the Cataluma, the guest room. It would seem that when Mary and Joseph roll into Bethlehem, all the guest rooms were filled, which tells us two things. Number one, first century Jews figured out Airbnb way before we did. And number two, Mary and Joseph did not spend the night in some stable, but rather were invited into a family's personal space. There's really no other option. Hospitality is one of the most important values in this culture. So if a descendant of King David, like Joseph, wandered into Bethlehem, which is the city of David, and they did not show him hospitality, that would have been absolutely shameful. All right, what about the manger, you might ask? Doesn't that suggest they slept in a barn, people? Well, if it was medieval Europe, sure. But there are no barns in this culture. I said earlier that a first century house would have two rooms, the Cataluma, the guest room, and the main living space where the family lived. And that family room typically had one area that was dug several feet into the ground. Think of it as the original split-level house. And that lower level would contain a manger or two because that is where they brought their animals at night, right into the heart of the family home, both for protection but also for warmth. So what if? What if Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus spent their first night not in a barn but in a borrowed home? laying Jesus in a borrowed feed box, enjoying the best hospitality that some family could offer. Borrowing is all over the Christmas story. And you know, before Jesus can even hang the blue, it's a boy balloon out in front of the house, some shepherds show up. And shepherds are the ultimate borrowers. I'm not talking about the Christmas pageant shepherds dressed in borrowed bathrobes that are five sizes too big for them. I'm talking about first century shepherds who were not the kind of company you wanted at Christmas or any other time for that matter. Shepherds were seen as dishonest, disreputable. They would borrow lands that belonged to others. And by borrow, I mean they would move their flock onto somebody's property under the cover of night, and let their sheep eat that vegetation down to nothing. You know, this may explain why they were so scared when the angels show up shining a spotlight on their midnight marauding. Busted. But before one of them can say, honestly, officer, we were just borrowing the grass for our sheep, the angel cuts in and says, I'm bringing you good news good news, of great joy for all the people. Underscore, underline all. That's the most important word in this part of the story. Luke takes care to let us know that this baby boy is for all people. He's not just for the Jews. He's not just for the important people. He is for everybody. And there is no better way to highlight that than to deliver this message to a pack of migrant workers scrapping out a life on borrowed lands. 
You know, it's difficult, I get it, to mess with the Christmas story that we've known for a long time, to brush off the accumulated details of the centuries that we have come to accept as the rest of the story. But there's also something rather beautiful about seeing this story through a different lens. Now, maybe I could be accused of writing this sermon as one heck of a feat to justify that I borrowed a vest 20 years ago and have no plans of returning it. By the way, I did replace that vest. Meg has a totally new, perfectly good vest, and I have not touched it yet. But I also think, friends, that the unburdened Christmas story reminds us to be gentle, gentle with those who live in borrowed homes and on borrowed lands, that even Jesus and the Holy Family had to borrow a home and a cradle for their first night together. Christmas reminds us that the Savior and the true Lord of this world, whose claim on your life goes well beyond that of any Caesar, he is for all people. Christmas reminds us that we are included in this story from the very beginning, all of us. And you know, we don't even have to beg, borrow, or steal our way in. It's a gift. Always a gift. Thanks be to God.